Blog Talk Radio. Eastern Standard Time, American Airlines Flight 11, bound for Los Angeles, crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. It was initially believed to be an accident. This, Justin, you are looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. The plane was coming in. I, I noticed it a second before it hit the building. It looked like it, it was moving slowly. And it lined itself up to hit the building directly. At 9.03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175, also bound for Los Angeles, slammed into the South Tower, causing an explosion in the building's upper floors. medical personnel and government officials, including the mayor himself, had begun to descend on Lower Manhattan, along with an army of reporters, photographers, and television crews, as the machinery of the largest media apparatus in the world began to focus on the 16-acre site. At 9.02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the attack, millions of people in the metropolitan region and tens of millions more across the country and around the world the world were staring intently at the smoldering skyline of lower manhattan when a dark shape appeared on the horizon above the new jersey lowlands and came hurtling across the upper bay i got out of my car other people other people did and suddenly and i saw a plane number two number two coming coming from the south from the Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to AJC Radio, as tonight we take a look back at 9-11. You may want to grab some clinics. Tonight will be emotional. It will be thought-provoking. But we remember the victims and the tragedies that have hit America. Yet at the same time, 
we shine a little bit of information on the IRP-6, who from this tragedy in America, a vision was born to keep the homeland safe. Stand by, AJC Radio remembers, and we never forget, 9-11. Hang on. All right, folks, ladies and gentlemen, I am Lamont Banks, along with William Williams and Cliff Stewart and the AJC Radio team. And tonight, we look back at a tragedy, Cliff and William, uh, as we get ready to dig here. uh, I'll tell you, as I was uh, looking at some things in regards to this tragedy uh, and the lives that were lost as a result of a senseless act, uh, I'll tell you right now, uh, it is important that we look back and we make preparation. William, as we sit here, uh, understand you had an opportunity to be in New York City uh, and, and actually have seen uh, the devastation and the rebuilding of a monument of this tragic day that took place on 9-11. What are your thoughts? Well, when I first got there, I'll tell you, it was... Um it was very impressive. I'm telling you, the the area that um, that they basically have quartered off for the construction um, to erect the Freedom Tower. But the one thing that that really kind of stood out to me was I, I sat in a building and I was talking to a lady, and a helicopter flew by, and you saw in her face this kind of this paranoia. Because, again, this, she was scarred. She was scarred by what happened 14 years ago. And she said, you know, they don't fly choppers around here. They don't, they don't do it. This was a tour, an aerial tour. Mm-hmm. But the scars that are left behind, they'll always be there. They're erecting something on top of a scar that this country will not, um, not forget. Well, you're not going to forget, Cliff. Uh, uh, being, uh, knowing the capabilities, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. The tragedy that struck this country, and Cliff, I'll give you a moment here to chime in on it. Uh, my understanding, and I want you to tell the, 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 the listeners out here tonight, Cliff, in regards to uh, how that vision was born and what did Gary Walker see when he stood and looking out of his hotel room. T- take the folks on that journey with us for a moment, would you? Yeah, you know, I had an opportunity to go to New York with uh, a couple members of um, IRP Solution, Gary Walker and, and David Banks, and um, there are a couple other people there with us. A couple of the subject matter expert consultants were there with us, and I remember seeing Ground Zero. And at that point, I mean, this was this was probably uh, mid late 2003, maybe early 2004, and I remember seeing this place where the Twin Towers had been. And, I mean, you're talking about a six... Just imagine a 16-acre lot is basically what it was. I mean, you're talking about blocks of, um, you know, the city. And, and anybody who's been to New York, you know, you go to New York and you look up and it, every every building is as tall as you can look up. You You look up and you see these skyscrapers that... I mean, you lean back so far that it's like you start to fall backward to see the the top of them. And to see that space, that much open space, 16 acres in the middle of all this, 
you say, okay, this was uh, these two towers were ominous, just structures that, as Will mentioned, that just represented who America is as a uh, you know as, as a financial power in the world, and to see this open spot, and then to understand that when uh, when Gary Walker looked down on this from you know like 30, 40, 50 stories up in a hotel room and looked down on this spot and says, you know, the reason that I came up with the software, with the Silk software, is so that something like this would never again happen on American soil, that in the event that, uh, you know, God forbid, some other terrorist group would try to plan something like this or plot something like this, that something would be in place that would ensure that it couldn't happen or that it couldn't happen easily. And, I mean, the, it happened so easy on 9-11 because the federal agencies, the federal law enforcement agencies, they have the information about these men. None of them shared data. They did not collabor- uh, collaborate their data, and that is what allowed the attack to happen. That's what the 9-11 uh, Commission, uh, that is what their report lays out, is that the information was there, that these men were in the country, that they were doing this type of training, learning how to fly commercial airlines, but the agencies never shared the information with each other. And we have that tragedy. But when Gary looked down and he saw this devastation and and, and that is where the uh, the silk software, the, the whole identity of it, the whole just reason for it to be that it was solidified in him and the other members of the IRP6 is that we cannot allow this to happen on American soil again. That is the reason. And if you look at the you look at pictures of nine eleven at ground zero from the time that the event happened until now where they have the memorial and you look at it and you see just how big, how devastating it is, not only on the you know, the streets of New York, but how devastating it is in the hearts of every American that says, you know, if there's some way that if this this if a plot like this is tried to be carried out again that we could stop it then why not why won't we utilize everything that we can as a country to ensure that something like this never ever happens again well well, no absolutely and ladies and gentlemen we're talking children lost uh parents parents lost children and i'll tell you right now politics does not come into play when american lives or human lives are lost um, and tonight we're going to dig into that, and we're going to uh, we say tonight to the families of the victims. Uh, and I'll tell you what, it uh, I believe has been uh, 14 years ago, uh, and I guarantee you the pain and the loss and the devastation and the impact of that is still being felt by this nation and by the victims and the families of those that were lost. We're going to share a little bit, a little bit of that. A young lady who lost her dad. Uh, cries out to her dad how bad she actually misses him. Uh, tonight will be a show that we take a moment as a country and as a nation. Uh, this is part one of Remembering 9-11. Uh, coming up Thursday, we will have a special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill, Remembering 9-11. And folks, uh, grab your neighbors, grab folks near you, and say, let's come together tonight. And we appreciate you joining us tonight here on AJC Radio. Before we get too far into the program, uh, Cliff, what is our disclaimer? And can you share that with the uh, uh, with the folks? Um. Sure. We uh, here at AJC Radio 
Now, any opinions expressed on this show are the, the opinions of any callers or guests. Those are not opinions held by AJC Radio. We are not attorneys, Lamont, William, or myself. We are not attorneys. If you have or need any legal advice, you want to ensure that you are represented by your own attorney because we will not stand with you in a court of law, but we do stand with our opinion and the things that we say here. Okay, and thanks for that. And understand, uh, we're not uh, uh, licensed necessarily, not that we won't stand in support in justice. We're just simply not licensed to go in a courtroom and represent you as legal counsel. But I guarantee AJC Radio stands with you to fight injustice and uh, making that clarification tonight. So uh, we're going to get to some current events right now um, and a few things happening in the country. Uh, William uh, Cliff, uh, familiar with the clerk, I, uh, the clerk that actually was released uh, from custody today who de- dealt with some issues, uh, not wanting to uh, hand out uh, uh, licenses or marriage license for state-mandated, uh, uh, if you will, um, uh, marriages uh, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for gays. So gays come together uh, to get married, and there was an issue with her uh, in regards to not wanting to do that. Uh, ended up going to jail. Uh, she appealed the decision and uh, and is able to now at least out for the moment. And uh, regardless of what side of the issue that you may or may not be on, uh, the nation, William, seems to be just at a point of disconnect uh, where people are, are doing things, saying things, and I, I liken it as to just chaos. Uh, in this country right now, there's just so many things going on right now in this country, and people are tossed in opinions. People are divided. Absolutely. Uh, and it's not only the, but it, you know what? We said before, the culture of the nation right now is divided on every issue. Uh, and again, we're not here to give in an opinion one way or the other. We're saying we're seeing a trend of division uh, in, in, in America right now, and that's not going to do any of us pretty good, is it? Yes. It, I mean, everything has just become so polarized. It's It's and it's amplified and magnified at such a level. Um, we're seeing it from Black Lives Matter. We're seeing it here with uh, rights here for sure. same-sex marriage. Sure. Um, not only is it this clerk there, I, I just heard this week or, or about North Carolina, there are some magistrates there that are taking a stand, and the numbers are growing, sure. saying that, hey, this is not, we're not going to participate in this, be it right or be it wrong. These things are becoming more and more under the magnifying glass. It, sure. You're seeing them all over news. That, that is the news in our country. That is the news of what's going on. The fractured nation of this United States now is becoming not united. Well, would you say the divided states of America? Yes, it's absolutely it. Uh, and, and, and then again, go to your local news stations. You can read more about that story. I bring that up because it is current news. It's all over the news right now. Uh, and uh, that's what makes it America, that a person doesn't have to agree. That's true. Uh, and we are allowed to disagree. Uh, and we say that all the time on this program, whether you agree with a issue or disagree, uh, there's a way it has to be handled. There's a way it has to avoid conflict uh, and whatever that is. And, and, and again, if you, stand, if you say I'm standing on this issue and that is your conviction, then you stand on that. And if it's not your conviction... You stand on that. Uh, that's what makes it America and makes us uh, a, a nation of, of uh, diversity and all those things that we talk about on a consistent basis. Uh, we did see also in the news um, uh, Freddie Gray, I believe, his family uh, has been offered a $6.4 million settlement 
um, to settle this issue with the wrongful death, and to me the horrific death of Freddie Gray, uh, who was being dragged to police a police van, paralyzed, his feet not even being able to uh, to pick up his legs, uh, severed. I believe in the report I saw his spine was severed. Uh, you know, I, w- I was sharing uh, with someone today that what is so ironic to me is that you have so much, so many people defending, we didn't do anything wrong to Mr. Gray. Then how do you come back with a $6.4 million settlement offer? Because you know you did something wrong here. Exactly. And the, the thing that I think is most telling about that is the mayor of New York that she came out when they came up with that settlement offer is that she said, you know, we have to come up with this settlement offer because we feel that it would keep the not New York or Baltimore. Rather, I was I was reading about the uh, sure. 9-11, but the city of Baltimore keeps the city of Baltimore from paying out many, many more millions of dollars to basically deal with this civil lawsuit. And and this is for listeners. This is the civil portion. The the uh, the criminal charges still stand. The officers still have to go, uh, you know, to trial to basically say, hey, did they did they pretty much murder uh, Freddie Gray? That is what, you know, I commend uh, the mayor of Baltimore for doing this. It's, it's, it's not that the because there's a civil settlement um, that is pretty much all but finished with his family that now the police officers are off the hook for killing him. No, they came up with the civil settlement to give the family some type of uh, recourse, but the criminal charges still stand. They will be having that trial, and we'll see what the people of Baltimore come up come up with when the uh, when the jury hears the evidence on like you you know like everybody sees that Freddie Gray's spine was severed because of the way that he was he was treated uh, by police officers, and, and it's a tragedy. It is absolutely a tragedy. I mean, you think it's five months after this twenty five year old. African-American male dies in the hands of police officers, spine severed in the transport vehicle itself at the scene. $6.4 million is not going to buy that that son back, not going to bring your child back. It's not going to do anything. And probably more if it was my son, probably make me mad. Because, I mean, a settlement comes, and now now let's see what happens to the men that did this, that took this life. And uh, I believe that is the bottom line, and... um Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, right now in New York City, 87 degrees, mostly sunny skies tonight. Uh, Los Angeles, 90 degrees. Colorado Springs, 80 degrees, partly cloudy skies across the state. And I'll tell you right now, in New York, it may be sunny on the horizon tonight, but we're reminded tonight of a dark cloud, a tsunami effect that hit New York City 14 years ago. Tonight, AJC Radio takes a trip down memory lane And it's a horrible one, but we take that journey to remember those that were lost and what has happened to a nation that fell to its knees. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We're coming back. Remembering 9-11, we will never forget as we take honor tonight to honor New York City and those that were lost in one of the biggest tragedies that ever hit this nation. We'll be right back. Grab something to drink. Come on in from the heat. We're taking a trip on AJC Radio to New York City. Right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that 
you and I experienced some of the same things with the Big Brother. Big Brothers will always be Big Brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. I remember how incredibly, amazingly beautiful it was that day. It was one of the most beautiful days I've ever seen. I was in the boot camp when I found out. I went to the grocery store to buy some milk, and I was listening to the radio at the time, and I had the news on, and they mentioned that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center. On September 11th, I will pray for the safety of the people I love. I will remember by taking a moment to think about the three colleagues of mine who did not make it out that day. I will send care packages to troops overseas. I will. I will. I will. I will find a way to help someone become more literate. I will continue to be a volunteer fireman. I will forgive. I will volunteer at our local domestic violence shelter. I will clean up my room. I will. I will. I will. I will remember by planting a tree here at the Flight 93 Memorial. Memorial. What will you do? What will you do? What will you do this September 11th? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lamont Banks. This is AJC Radio, and tonight we take a moment to remember the victims of 9-11 as we look back at a day that shook a nation and shook the world. The attack, the terrorist attack 
on our nation, on our soul, and on our homeland. And tonight we get into the story of what brought us to this point and where are we 14 years later as as being safe. Uh, according to the 9-11 report, uh, saying very clearly that we are no safer today than we were 14 years ago. And William, when you hear that, 14 years, and as we get into the tragedy, when we get into the loss, it is very, very important that we not forget um, what brought us here. And the urgency at that moment was we must act now. We must move now because this cannot happen. This is not happening in America. Uh, We soon found out, and the fact, in my opinion, that we can say in the in the 9/11 Commission report says we're no safer than we were then. We're no safer today. That's sad. That's sad. You're talking. What does about, that say? You're talking about 14 years. 14 years have gone by, and we, as a country, have not learned. We have not changed. We have not evolved. We've not gotten any better. We've probably even gotten worse. So, I mean, it's a horrifying fact. It's a horrifying fact to think that they attacked us in, in, I mean, they attacked us in our strongest city. I mean, New York is our, is our, our, our iconic city. Sure. Everybody thinks about the United States. They think about New York. They hit us right there. I mean, that's just like getting hit. In the midsection. Well, go ahead, Cliff. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say what it reminds you. It's, it's a, a little reminiscent of Pearl Harbor. Because you say they came – during the attack on Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor, they came in in planes from another nation, and they attacked us on our soil. So, you know, we got ambushed. In the 9-11 attack, they came into the heart of what America is, the the – what we're we as America are admired for for around the world is that our our financial strength and everything that happens there on Wall Street in the in the you know in the trade center area that's where they attack us but what what gets you about the 9/11 commission report the 10th anniversary of them with them saying we're no safer than we were on September 11, 2001. I mean, you're talking about 14 years later, and what you have to deal with is that it is the culture of law enforcement that they refuse to share the information that they have that says, okay, if an attack is imminent on America, if attack, if some plot is going on, that we don't share that information with each other. And you, it, every citizen has to ask themselves, why is it that the FBI cannot share with the CIA cannot share with NSA, cannot share with local law enforcement. Why can you not share the information that would keep America safe? That is the part that really gets you that here we are almost a decade and a half later, and they still do not share information. And it was proven that the fact that they didn't is how the terrorists were allowed to pull 9-11. But you know one thing, Cliff, as you said that, the thing that really stands out to me is they dropped a plane on their doorstep. The Pentagon. Yes. The Pentagon. Yeah. I mean, we see that building and it reeks secure. Right. It's that can't is supposed touch. to be impenetrable. That is that is the building that says, look, if nothing else fails, this building is gonna stand. They dropped a plane on it. 
Well, I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen of America tonight. We plead to the audience of congressmen, members of Congress, the President of the United States, and to those that have the ability to take a look. And we need to be reminded as we play politics with the IRP-6, as we play a very unfriendly game with six men, as we said on the top of this program, who developed software and their vision was born from this day that we reflect. And let's remind the listening audience tonight, it says here that every one of the eight child victims of September 11th terror attacks was, as President Bush described it earlier this, early in the month of, of 9-11, the most important person on earth to somebody was lost. And it says here, these are the victims' names of the children. Christine Lee Hansen, two years old, from Massachusetts. David Brandhorst, three years old, from California. Juliana McCourt, four years old, New London, Connecticut. Bernard Brown, 11 years old, from Washington, D.C. Asia Cottam, 11 years old, from Washington. Rodney Dickens, 11, Washington, D.C. Dana Falkenberg, uh, three years old, and her sibling, Zoe Falkenberg, eight years old, from University Park, Maryland. All died on United Airlines Flight 175. We'll get back to that. Right now, we've been honored to bring back an amazing gentleman who was there at Ground Zero the day this tragedy occurred. And we're talking about Bernard Carrick. He joins us very briefly tonight, uh, but we welcome him to the program. Bernard, how are you? I'm Bernard, good. Okay, thank you so much, uh, uh, Mr. Carrick, for joining us tonight and uh, taking a few minutes as we reflect on 9-11. Uh, and I'll ask you the question, uh, Mr. Carrick. What were you doing and where were you when this happened? Uh, well, I, I was the police commissioner, of course, of New York City. And I just uh, I was just in my office. I would just finished working out, uh, exercising in the morning. And my staff came in and said that the plane had just hit Tower 1. And I thought it was, I guess I thought like everybody else did, uh, it was a small plane as you know, one of these small planes that flies up and down the Hudson River. And I went to my conference room, looked out the conference room window, and I saw from about probably a half a mile away, I could see the damage to the building pretty close up. I jumped in the car and called the mayor. I told him I'd meet him at, at uh, 75 Barclay Street around that corner um, because we were going to go to Tower 7. Tower 7 is where the emergency management center was. So I got down there, and as we pulled down West Broadway on the Bessie Street, uh, the cops had blocked off the street because people were jumping from Tower 1, um, and they were landing between Tower 1 and 2 and on Bessie. So we had to back up the block, and I waited. I was basically standing in the middle of the street, looking at the damage to Tower 1, waiting for Giuliani, when the second plane slammed through Tower 2 above me. When you see that big orange fireball blow out of Tower 2, uh, me and my staff, my cabinet, were standing in front of that building looking at this this enormous explosion. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what had happened because I didn't see the plane. The plane came from the southern end of Manhattan. Um, and then I heard, I could hear our 
aviation pilots, the helicopter pilots, saying that a second airliner had just slammed into Tower 2. Wow. And uh, Mr. Carrick, as commissioner of New York at that time, what steps, I mean, at that moment, it had to be chaos <laughs> and complete fear. How well, is I, you know, honestly, yeah. honestly, Lamont, it, it, uh, it, no, listen, New York City deals with crisis uh, every day. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, from the smallest to the biggest crisis, you know, it's handled in New York City. And we've had plans and mock drills and tabletop exercises dating back to 1996 for just about anything you can think of. So when this happened, naturally, this is something nobody ever imagined. But the plans, the protocols, the response protocols, all of that stuff was was basically in in uh, in the works um, and moving right along just as we had planned uh, for any other problem. Uh, the only problem is this was bigger and more catastrophic than anything we, like I said, had ever imagined. That being said, um, we I called uh, what they what we called then an Operation Omega which is basically the closing down of the entire city. Um, every entry point to the city was closed. The only people allowed into the city were first responders, police, fire, uh, EMTs. Um, every firehouse was activated. Um, and you have to realize, you know, the New York City Police Department at that time under my command, I had about 55,000 people working for me. Um, the New York City Fire Department had about 13,000. Port Authority, I don't know the numbers, but it was up there very high. And also, we brought in the men and women of the New York City Correction Department. Um, their emergency service unit responded to Ground Zero. So, fortunately for us, as unfortunate as this was, fortunately for us, we had resources that no other city in America would have under sure. the circumstances. And, um, and we responded the best we could. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. Carrick, um, we said this before on this program. I'll say it tonight, uh, and I appreciate you. You said you only had a few minutes to share with us tonight, but I appreciate um, your service. I keep saying it, uh, Cliff William, the service that Mr. Carrick has provided to this nation uh, is unprecedented, uh, what you've done, Mr. Carrick. And uh, I'll tell you right now, uh, thank you for your service. If you was here, I'd shake your hand. And say well, thank you. Thank you. And you, know uh, what? We appreciate you, it. Can, yes. you can thank me, Lamont, but, but keep this in mind. On September 11th, the men and women in the New York City Fire Department, Police Department, Port Authority Police, they basically affected the most substantial rescue mission in U.S. history. You know, 25, 30,000 people were rescued from that building in the surrounding areas, and hundreds of thousands of people were basically ushered out of Manhattan with not a problem. If you look at those days, uh, that, that day's particular, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge, um, you know, the bridges going into Brooklyn, Queens, the, the waterways going back into New Jersey, hundreds of thousands of people were pushed out of that city without a problem, and that's an all, all really a credit to the men and women in the fire police and Port Authority police um, that did a tremendous job. They are the real heroes 
they're the ones that that accomplish something that I have to I have to admit in this in this day and age it would be uh, you wouldn't be too optimistic that that could be done. So uh, I got to give these guys and these men and women a lot of credit. No, oh, absolutely, and our hats are off to the entire uh, uh, city of New York, absolutely, um, and the firefighters and those that have fought. As you, that is astounding, those numbers are, Cliff. Yeah, and, and uh, Mr. Carrick, we we definitely we salute all those who uh, served in in that day's uh, tragedy and those events that that you spoke of 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 getting the people out of there to safety. But we also understand that without a leader, without a person in place that could basically, uh, you know, be the conductor for that orchestration, that could stand there and say, hey, to have the state of mind and to stay brave and to stay strong and to stand and say, we must save as many as we can and we have to get this done. It's imperative that we get the, the people off of this island yeah. so that they can get to safety. And so we, we, we salute them, but we have to we have to salute you and say that because of your leadership Absolutely. and, uh, and you know, your, your state of mind, your strength and your courage, is, that is the reason that it was able to happen. We take nothing away from, from those who uh, served with you and served under you, but we, we have to say thank you to you for ensuring that that got done as the commissioner. And like you said, 55,000 people that you had command over. That is no small undertaking, and we our hats are off to you Absolutely. tonight for the things that you did for 9-11. And, Mr. Carrick, we know you're limited on time tonight. I thank you again for taking a few moments with us. Uh, did you, If you want some closing remarks uh, to the audience and to our listening audience tonight across America, uh, feel free to, to share whatever you'd like in regard to this us remembering this day in this nation. Well, I, I think, you know, don't forget the first responders. Don't forget the people we lost. Um, you know, and really the families they left behind. I think as time has gone on from September 11th, you know, we're 14 years from that time, from that day. And, and I think sometimes we, uh, we just take our freedoms for granted. We take our security for granted. And, uh, and sometimes we have to be shocked and, and woken up. And, uh, and that was a wake-up call. Hopefully it never happens again, and, uh, and hopefully we never forget. And thank you for that, Mr. Carrick. Uh, and Godspeed, and uh, have a safe evening out there, okay? We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Have a good thank night, you guys. Too. You, too. you too. Thank you. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, William, uh, as you hear Mr. Carrick talk, uh, what, a, what, a, you know, what a leader. You know, he said, look, it, 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 it doesn't start with me. And to every responder, every organization, uh, every firefighter, every police officer that walked in, in the furnace of danger, if you will, and a risk they took, but to save others. And those numbers, Cliff, uh, thousands of people moved. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're talking hundreds of thousands of people. people. The, the, for, for those people who don't understand, I mean, you, you look at New York and you say, okay, this is a city with what? I mean, Manhattan has like 300, 3 million people on the island of Manhattan. Those are the residents that live there. And you're talking about this is in the the largest business district in the nation. And Manhattan is not a big island. Most of it is business. The residents that are there, 3 million people, and 
basically they had to say, hey, we have to usher these people off this island because we don't know what else is going on in well, this I, area. I think, I think as he said, as he spoke, the thing that came to my mind, these men rushed and women rushed into danger. They rushed down go. those streets. As you see the videos of the clouds rolling down the street, this is debris falling. Yes. You're running to danger. You're running to the inevitable. You're running to save those. You're running to save those that are trapped. You're running past people that are running by with, with soot, debris on their clothes, and you're witnessing the, the greatest devastation our country has ever seen. So when he talks about mobilizing right. you know, <laughs> every resource he has, he's talking about shutting down the greatest city in our country. That's no, he, that's no, that's no, that's no joke. He said New York City. He didn't say Manhattan. Right. Exactly. He said New York City. Shut it down. And I mean, I'm sitting there thinking about public transit. Well, I'm absolutely. thinking about getting people off. He's talking about the bridges. He's talking about the waterways. He's talking about all the the air helipads, everything. He said shut down a city. That. And a city phenomenal. of that magnitude, and and you look at it, the people, the people who you know, the first responders, all of the firefighters, all of the policemen, they are no better than the the person who led them. So you know that uh, he asked commissioner to keep his state of mind, to to stay calm and say, we have to run toward danger to save lives. People are only as good as their leader. Absolutely. And he had to be the first to say, I'm going to ground zero. When he heard that the plane hit the tower, he said, I'm going to the next tower. I'm going to the tower to basically the command center. I'm headed toward danger. 55,000 officers, follow me into this. Well, that's what he said. He said when he heard it, he was working. He just finished working out. He goes to ground zero. He's on Betsy Street, which is on the north side. And he said he didn't see the plume because the building came around or the plane came around from the south side. He was there. Right. So he got out of the comfort of his office, got up from his leather chair, and said, let's go down there and see about these people. Well, I'll tell you right now, and uh, Thomas Wheatley writes a story 14 years later, what does 9-11 mean to us? Uh, he says here, as the horror unfolded on national television, the grind of what was supposed to be a routine Tuesday shuttered to a halt. Parents abandoned work, pulled their children from school, called loved ones, and sheltered at home. Seeing in the smoldering remains of the Twin Towers, we shook with enmity and rage. We demanded retribution. We vowed revenge. As end of that day neared with the blue September sky faded into dusk, the nation writhed in pain. So much has been lost. Such destruction and death was unfathomable. A few hours later, the last light of day slipped below the horizon and put an end to one of the worst days in American history. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and he goes further, I didn't mean to cut that off, they're lying in our beds that particular night with nothing but the soft chirp of night insects and the silence of our own thoughts, the truth set in. We had witnessed symbols of American uh, symbols of American might crumble with thousands still trapped inside. We watched people leap to their deaths in a desperate attempt to escape the flames. In our minds flashed the faces of hundreds of emergency workers and who would never come home. 
And in our hearts we heard the sobs of those who were still awake in New York and Virginia, sitting by the telephone waiting for a call that would never come. Tonight on AJC Radio, we say we will never forget, and we do remember. As AJC Radio, we take a trip to New York City and the tragedy that could never, we could have never imagined. Ladies and gentlemen, we come back. Callers, uh, call if you want to call into the program. Uh, they, uh, we do have some callers in Q Cliff, is what I'm understanding. Come to hang on there. We're coming right back with them, and we'll bring them on into this conversation as we, as a nation, look back at a tragedy far greater than we ever thought. And tonight we say we remember and we'll never forget. Stand by, ladies and gentlemen of America. We look back at the tragedy of the Twin Towers. We'll be right back with you. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Let's go to the Trade Tower again because, John, we now have a... What do we have? We don't... It looks like a, a new plume, a new large plume of smoke. Now, it may be that something fell off the building. It may be that something has fallen. We don't know, to be perfectly honest. But that is what you're looking at, is the current. That's the scene at this moment at the World Trade Center. Dan Daler from ABC's Good Morning America is down in the general vicinity. Dan, can you tell us what has just happened? Yes, Peter. It's Don Daler down here. I'm four blocks north of the World Trade Center. The second building that was hit by the plane has just completely collapsed. The entire building has just collapsed, as if a demolition team set off when you see the old demolitions of these old buildings, it pulled it down on itself and it is not there anymore. That should be it. It has completely collapsed. The whole side has collapsed? The whole building has collapsed. The building has collapsed? The building has collapsed. That's the southern tower you're talking about. Crossing to the World Trade Center in New York just a moment or two ago. The Twin Tower, it's some 110 stories high. It's starting to fall apart. There's no other way of expressing what's happening. Actually, let's look at these live pictures at the World Trade Center. The other tower of the World Trade Center has just collapsed. You are looking at live pictures of the second Twin Tower at the World Trade Center collapsing as a result of the crash of an airplane into its side. That, I believe, was the first tower that was struck. Well, with us one second, Keith Graves. We're taking live pictures from our colleagues at Fox News in New York. 
we know that one of the Twin Towers at the World Trade Center in New York collapsed a short time ago. Some 25,000 people worked inside that building. You just saw it live here on Sky News. The second tower has collapsed. The second tower has collapsed. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, welcome back to AJC Radio. As you may sit down and maybe on your back porch tonight and view the sunset in whatever area that you may be, and when you put the blanket over you tonight, the blanket of freedom, uh, there were lives that were lost, and the freedom that we take for granted in this nation came under attack on September 11, 2001. And tonight, AJC Radio visits New York City. And we remind America, as you enjoy to go come in and go out of your front door or take old uh, Duke for a walk in the local dog park, the freedom in which you walk under was severely threatened 14 years ago on 9-11. Tonight we take a look and we reflect on what maybe were you doing that day. What do you remember as this tragedy shook the world? and a nation. Tonight we want to hear from you. Feel free to call into this program at 347-838-8976. 347-838-8976. And we find here that originally 2,973 victims were confirmed to have died during the initial attacks. However, in 2007, the New York City Medical Examiner's Office began to add people who died of illnesses caused by the exposure to dust from the, from the site or went missing in the years after the attacks to the official death poll. Overall, 9-11 victim death toll was 2,977 people. Over 1,400 9-11 rescue workers who responded to the scene in the days and months after the attacks have since died. Eleven unborn babies also died on 9-11. It is imperative, ladies and gentlemen of America, that we do not forget, but that we take a look and we look back. Let's go to the phones. Cliff, who do we have? Yes, we have uh, Wayne on uh, line one, and he wants to make a comment. Uh, Wayne, one second. Go ahead, Wayne. You're live. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys, for having me. Um, I remember going to uh, to work, and like many others, I heard a plane hit uh, one of the tra- uh, one of the towers, and I didn't think it was a large plane. And by the time I got to work, everyone was standing around the television, and um, my boss sent us home. And I remember about that day watching the news. It just it seemed to get worse the the more you watched it was one tower then another then flight 93 in Pennsylvania and the flight that hit the Pentagon and then the towers fell and it was like oh my god America is under attack and you know I, I, I think I sat there for hours just watching newscast after newscast thinking 
when is this going to end? Oh, absolutely. And when you look back, Wayne, on uh, on what happened, and uh, uh, and he's already gone. Cliff, is that right? He's still on. If you wanted to, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm here in a month. Wayne, a quick question for you: as you as you look back 14 years later, and we said earlier on the program, America is no safer today than we were 14 years ago. But when you begin to listen to the stories and the tragedies, the babies that were killed, the families that lost fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, how discouraging is it that a nation sits still at the crossroad with no answer, at least that they have not yet tapped into? What are your thoughts well, on that? Well, I think this, the thing that's infuriating for me is when I, I I know the story of the IRP six, and I'm like, so we have the ability to make this country safer, and politicians and government bureaucracies would rather, you know, fight like little children in a sandbox than to do than to do what they need to to keep this nation safe. Fourteen years, and we're no safer. Uh, that's a tragedy, and people should be held accountable. Um, for leaving us open. Oh, no, absolutely, Wayne. And then thanks for your call tonight. We appreciate that. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. The, the comments, and Will, when he makes those comments, that's reality. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, you know what I mean? When you look and you hear and you see people jumping out of buildings for fear that they put in the hearts of Americans in this country, that's it true. is totally unacceptable that we don't exhaust every effort while six men, and ladies and gentlemen, if you're not familiar with the IRP-6, you will be familiar with them. And these men are patriots of America who Gary Walker, as we said earlier, stood out of his, in his hotel room looking at the devastation, looking at the mass grave. Of Americans. That's right. That's right. And I think the thing about it, when Cliff shared that earlier, the implied thought is that not on my watch, not again. As a citizen, as a patriot, not again will this take place. What I can do, I will do for my country. What I know how to do, I'm going to put forth every effort to do it. And I think that's the thing that people need to understand the answer is there information knowledge is power and Absolutely. for these guys not to share not to talk not to collaborate when you're talking about millions of people millions of people their lives are in danger well and i'll tell you this william they made the statement that uh isis the current threat on our soil is far greater threat a far greater threat than Osama bin Laden and the plots that took place in America. You can't wrap your hands around that because of the loss. And we're talking about mercenaries here who have no value as far as life but is concerned. They are recruiting. Absolutely. I think that's the, that's the thing. They are recruiting. They're going to the campuses. They're looking at those that are out there that are subject to listening to their philosophy, absolutely adopting their beliefs, their thoughts. These are the ones that are out there recruiting, no different than an army recruiter comes to your sure. high school and says, look, son, what are you going to do with your life? They see, they identify those that are out there 
that have uh, these tendencies. They're disgruntled, and these are the ones that are they're recruiting. And so to be able to track, to be able to know where these these people are, these persons of interest, Absolutely. you know, because they're not staying in one place. No, I got they're, you. They're they're not staying in one place. So they're actually going around. They're making tours of this country, and they're recruiting more and more, and that's what they're doing. Oh, absolutely, and tonight, as I said before, uh, and we're going to go to another caller here momentarily, uh, every show on on AJC Radio, especially this show, giving what the IRP6 have done and what they have uh, strived to do, and that is to bring a difference uh, to America and keep the the homeland safe, Um, every show is dedicated to the IRP6, and the IRP6 uh, are Gary Walker, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. This show and this program is dedicated as we fight for justice for the answer that another tragedy never strike this soil again. And these six men have developed that software, and we're going to dig into that even further. But this show, and again, every show is dedicated uh, to them. And we have... I believe uh, Cliff Regina, is she on the line? Um, yes, we have uh, Gina. She wants to make a comment. And Gina, go up. And you are. Um, uh, go ahead. Okay, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I really appreciate the fact that you guys are taking a moment to remember that day. I think it was a very tragic day, very sad day in America and it's unfortunate that we aren't any better off that that's a scary scary thing that we aren't any better off we don't hadn't learned from that experience but i think what i wanted to share was on that day um i worked at a call center so my connection to what was going on in that part of the country was a, a little bit closer than um than you know i guess uh maybe some other people because we actually were making calls to the east coast and um we were and working, and and I can remember people not being able to get calls through, and we were wondering what was going on. We knew something had happened, but the official announcement of an attack hadn't been uh, made yet. I remember talking to one of my clients, and she's in Ruston, Ruston, Virginia, and she said, you guys can stop calling because uh, they're getting ready to evacuate our building, and they weren't even, you know, they weren't in New York. They were in the D.C. area, and... uh, she 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 paused for a moment and then she said, "I need you guys to pray for our salespeople. We have a floor, a team of people at the tower, and uh, you know we need to remember them." And she said, and, and there was silence on the phone for a minute, and then she said, um, "You know we both just told each other to be safe," and uh, she left, and and that she was that connection with me being here, in you know in Colorado Springs and her being all the way in Virginia, it, it just, I think it pulled a lot of Americans together from different walks of life because we all were feeling for each other. Um, I think it was the strangest feeling that day when they told the planes they couldn't take off anymore and, and they couldn't fly. It was so quiet. I remember that very, very vividly in my mind. I thought, there's no planes flying. And then you watch the news. And there were people stranded, and, and they couldn't get home. They stopped the train. Well, they were trying to get a train ticket, but there were no planes, so they were stranded all over the place. And I remember people walking on the bridge because there was no way to get home in New York. So they were like refugees walking 
you know, with briefcases and coats over the shoulders for 10 and 12 hours and longer trying to get back to their houses. I mean, it was a horrible day, horrible day. And to think that we're no more prepared for that kind of tragedy today um, for, you know, alerts or for people to be working together, that that's a sad thing. Absolutely. And, uh, Regina, thank you for the call tonight. And uh, we appreciate your thoughts on that. And um, Cliff William, when you when you this this triggers emotions that uh, really come to a boiling point uh, right now. William, you look very emotional right now. Uh, what are you feeling? Well, I, I myself personally, I mean, everybody that's called in and just the topic, I thought about myself, where I was that day, and uh, I'm an IT guy. I was, was at the building. I was there working, and all of a sudden, we start hearing the chatter in the building. And um, just like most people, they sent us home. But I think the thing that really will forever stand out to me was, like Gina said, you stare out and you look at the sky, and you're used to seeing planes flying over. I mean, this is our sky. We're sitting here on American soil, and you don't you don't see planes. The skies were absolutely quiet. And then I remember in October when I flew out for the first time and I flew to L.A. and to see the Humvees, they see the dogs, they see the soldiers standing in terminals with guns. I mean, it was it was like something from a from a movie. I, I, I never seen anything like I never yeah. seen that presence of the military at a commercial airport. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to a clip of a young girl who talks to her daddy who was lost on this day.
sleep with the light on anymore. I'm trying not to cry, Daddy. Please don't hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we reflect, we take a look back at one of the greatest tragedies to hit a nation. And uh, a young girl growing up over the years, it never ceased that she missed her father who was taken away and was a victim of that tragedy. When we come back, we're getting ready to take a break. We will dig into the IRP-6, the patriots that languished tonight in prison wrongfully convicted, who created software that could have avoided 9-11 and can avoid a future terrorist attack if America will listen and America will wake up. Tonight, we honor the victims. We take a moment to reflect on our freedoms and what we have taken for granted. A little girl without a father, and she's one of many that is in travail from a tragedy that should have never happened. We're coming back with the RP6 and their journey to create software to make sure this never happens again. Stay with us, won't you? We're coming right back with you. This is AJC Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are all courtesy of the heroic men and women of the United States military. They give so much, and they ask so little. I'm Joe Bontini. I'm Jack Scalia. I'm Nick Searcy. I'm Bonnie Jo Laughlin. I'm Scott Elrod. Please help me thank our heroes by doing something. 
Donate your time, talent, or gifts to groups and organizations devoted to our troops and their families. Visit a veteran's hospital. A smile, a hug, a shoulder, a handshake, or even an attentive ear goes a long, long way. Quite simply, give. They'll sincerely appreciate it. And it just might do wonders for you, too. Remember, freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. 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 Get involved. Give back now. God bless America. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Just the FBI raid was conducted. Uh, many of the questions that were asked were completely uh, inappropriate. Uh, and overall, I felt a feeling of betrayal. Uh, we had worked so hard, uh, so long, through blood, sweat, tears that we had uh, given towards developing a comprehensive, consolidated case management solution that would truly help the federal government. We had been to the Department of Homeland Security. We had been to the New York City Police Department, both of which had yielded uh, just much fruit uh, from, from an interest perspective in the software solution. Even coming up to a point where uh, three quotes were requested by the Department of Homeland Security, uh, and the final one for $70 million to be put uh, into the 2005 DHS budget. Uh, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio. We're back tonight remembering 9-11, and that clip was of David Banks, one of the IRP-6. And uh, when you hear that, um, William, as being a person that was part of uh, the software, your knowledge and your intelligence on this thing, as we have been heart-wrenched tonight, Talk to the people 
about this software, the sophistication, but the impact of not delaying and getting that software implemented across this country right now? Well, I think listening to that, that little girl's clip, listening to that, the thought that's in my mind is that this software, that would have never happened, period. That software was designed to actually help New York City. We did modifications for New York City. We did real-time crime analysis for New York City. I mean, the officers were coming in. They were giving us their feedback. They were telling us. These guys were passionate. They are saying, never again will this happen on my watch. Never again. And if I remember correctly, there was like 77 precincts in, in, in New York City. The one that stood out the most was Central Park is, is Precinct 11. And you sit there and you looking at a map. We actually wrote, and this is a part of the, the software that I wrote, which gave a map. You think about like a MapQuest or Google Maps or something like that that actually showed you a real-time event that was going on. They could see it across precincts. They could see everything. And... That's the thing that stood out to me. I mean, I've been in the IT industry for years. Many things that we build never see the light of day. This was the best thing I've ever put my hands on. And I remember Gary sharing that one thought with me. He told me about looking at that crater. He told me about looking down at the destruction. And we talked about almost 3,000 people that were Impacted immediately, the millions that were impacted later, and today, today, almost 15 years later, the software sits. I touched it in 2005. I touched the previous version, the handheld version. These were all the thoughts, even to the point where they had, I mean... We had law enforcement sitting there saying we've never seen anything like this. We did demonstrations there of the visual analytics side of it that that took a person of interest and related them across cases that were unrelated before. You didn't see the pattern, but it took John Doe from here and related him to another address and then a weapon into another address. All this, this was a vision this man had truly God-given, truly God-given. And I'm telling you, it sits, and the men that wrote it, the, the they sit wrongfully convicted, wrongfully convicted in prison. And uh, make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, they sit in prison wrongfully because somebody had a problem with these six men from Colorado Developing things that the Fortune 500 companies could not do. The big wigs could not come up with. And the nation and Congress and the FBI and everybody else is saying we need an answer. No one came up with the answer but these six men, the RP6. That's right. That's why when, when I'm telling you, we spent hours late night on direct requests from from NYPD make these changes. This is what we need. They saw it. They saw exactly what they needed. They saw the tool, the instrument to prevent this. These men were passionate. They said, make these changes. Make these custom mods. Everything. And these guys 
had the answer. You're right. The big ones, the big companies, the big IT companies that are there to provide their expertise did not have it. They didn't have what, what these guys had. They didn't have anything close to it. Well, and, and you know, Will, looking back at when DHS contacted IRP Solutions and said, you know, we hear you guys have some software that we need to look at. And from from what DHS was explaining is that, you know, we've seen these Fortune 500 com- companies come in. They got a PowerPoint, you know, presentation. They're They're putting up some slides up on the wall and telling us what they can do if we give them half a billion dollars. And the difference between IRP Solutions and the Silk Solution is that IRP Solution came in the door and said, this is what we have. And we can modify it quickly and efficiently to fit anything that you need to do. And, and like you said, NYPD said, "Look, we'll we'll put some subject matters on it, some subject subject matter experts on it with you. Make these modifications. Let's see what IRP Solutions can really do." IRP Solutions turned around these these uh, modifications, these customizations, so fast that they had their their heads were spinning. They said, "Okay, well, if you did that, can you do this?" Same thing at Department of Homeland Security. We need this customization. We need this federal face put on it. We need these federal security implementations added to the software. And like you heard David Banks say on the clip, that they came back saying, okay, we we need a quote for these three particulars. We need a quote for standing the framework up. We need a, a quote for the confidential informant. We need a quote for how many licenses it would take to, to put this in action for Department of Homeland Security. Those quotes came up to $100 million. And the thing that kills you is that three weeks after that quote, that that request for a quote to DHS was put in, then the business gets raided. You look at you look at what started, you know, uh, obviously 9-11 started Department of Homeland Security. You look at what they were looking to do. They had an initiative called the Consolidated Enforcement Environment saying, all of federal law enforcement, because we had the failure and 9-11 happened because we didn't share information, now we're going to have a consolidated environment that says all of federal law enforcement will use one platform so that the information is shared. That is the initiative that Silk Software was built for. And the question I have is that why was information not shared? What is the problem? Somebody had something to say about that. The agencies have separate distinct missions. However, the information sharing should be totally integrated and seamless, and that's just not happening. You Again, that goes back to my answer of the culture. You can change the infrastructure all you want. If you have the same people who hid or did not share information before, they're going to do it again, and that's what we're seeing here. There's too much layering. I spoke to one of the 9-11 commissioners about three years ago about his view of did they get it right? Is the director of national intelligence watch you as a commissioner who understands intelligence? Is that what you want? And he said, absolutely not. They did not want another bureaucracy, uh, a non-functioning bureaucracy, sitting on top of other layers of bureaucracy. We're supposed to streamline, not make more complex. So this is why you see the information sharing and the near misses, uh, as Abu Muttalib, uh, Faisal Shahzad, uh, I would also argue uh, Major uh, Hassan was preventable as well, had people looked at everything in totality. So we've not really made ourselves any safer, and I think it's just a matter of time before uh, someone who is looking at our system goes around it again or, or is able to figure out how to go through the system in such a way to not be detected. 
Wow, and uh, what you have with that, William, uh, this is, when you hear that, how troubling is that? And we're going to get your answer on that, William, here in a moment as, as we sit here. Ladies and gentlemen, wrap your hands around this if you're able and think about what they're saying here. He said there won't be a problem getting around the system because if the culture is messed up, and folks are still wanting their egos stroked as we feel body bags across this country and the threat of terrorism is struck in the hearts of Americans. That is unacceptable, given the lives that have been lost and the threat today in this country. There should be an outrage. There should be something happening. Cliff, we're going to go to the phones right now. Cliff, who do we have in the queue? Uh, we have uh, Ethel in queue, and uh, she wants to make a comment uh, about her, um, you know, thoughts and experience on 9-11. And uh, okay. Ethel, go ahead, you're live. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you guys took this, this time to get back to me because I really needed to uh, recompose myself after the piece with the little girl talking. That, it, that was absolutely heart-wrenching. And I, I just wanted to say that, you know, today, you know, or, or this time, this year, during this time, it, that 9-11 still stands out in the heart of every American man, woman, boy, and girl who remembers that time. And I, I'm, I'm just so, so um, I, I don't even know the word to say or to word to use because I'm familiar with, with the IRP6 and the software, you know, that they developed and, and everything and, and how they've, you know, just been putting it out there. And, and I, I don't understand how it is that our, our government, when they have the power to stop another 9-11 and, and they don't use it, they, they, they know that, that, that something exists and they don't use what is there to stop it. If, if, if such a tragedy happens again, we can only say that the blood should be on their hands. And, and it's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, how do, how do you have something when you can prevent such a horrific occurrence from happening how do you know that it ex- something exists that could stop it and you don't do anything with it? That's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much for taking my call. And thank you, Ethel, for those comments. And uh, Cliff and uh, William, I think we got Cliff. Who else? Let's go to the next caller if we can. And uh, we're going to a few moments. Uh, we, we, we get bringing, ah, we're getting ready to bring another caller on. Excuse me. I got well, yeah, out there. And, you know, before we bring the caller on, Lamont, you know, I, I just wanted to make a, another uh a comment, you know, kind of along the lines of what Ethel was saying about sure. how, um, you know, these these agencies, how how the Silk software could help them. And we mentioned earlier about these Fortune 500 companies. They, they came in with all this, you know, basically smoke and mirrors and what they could do, but they had proof of nothing. And that was shown when uh, they tried to, when SAIC tried to build out the, um, the what was it called? The software they built out spent $425 million, um, you know, for the virtual case file. They paid, the U.S. government paid $425 million for uh, SAIC to build out the virtual case file. They had to scrap it. Former FBI uh, 
Chief uh, Mueller stood before Congress and said, yes, we spent half a billion dollars on this. We have nothing to show for it. We cannot use what they built. And when you look at the words of the former FBI CIO, he said that a large corporation cannot cannot get you what you need building a solution out like this out. It would take a small company. It would take a company that could focus on uh, this project as just that, as this is a project that this is our focus to ensure that the federal government have what they need. You, need, you know, you have these large Fortune 500 companies. They put a thousand, two thousand engineers on building something, and all, and they have tunnel vision as far as the way that they work. And that was the difference between IRP Solutions and the Silk Software is that it is not about us building something and then telling you, hey, this is how you're going to do business. You're going to have to change the way that you do your job to use our software. IRP Solutions built the Silk Software so that it could be used by any agency, not saying here's the software. Now, you're going to have to change the way you do business. No, the software is built the way you do business so that when we bring it in, when we stand it up, it's streamlined, it's customized, and everything wow. that uh, that needs to be in place is in place so it's usable. Those are the type of things that each caller we're, we're hearing is like, why wasn't this implemented? Well, Red tape, competition. I mean, when you're a company well, like the size of IBM, Motorola, SAIC, well, I'll tell you. Well, I'll tell you what. There comes a time when corporate corruption exceeds humanity. Oh, it's absolutely right. What has corporate happened greed. here is that we have corporate America, the United States government, and other issues that we are dealing with here. As the RP six men languish in prison with the answer, and we're going to speak to that here momentarily. And uh, right now, we're going to see. Uh, is if the caller is available uh, to come online. Who do we have, Cliff? Uh, yes, we have Joe, who uh, he also wants to make a comment about uh, basically his thoughts, his thoughts about 9-11 and when it, uh, where he was at. Go ahead, Joe. You are live. Yeah, thank you yeah, for taking my call, and, and I appreciate you guys uh, talking about this. You know, I... Uh, I even found myself earlier today just scheduling an appointment, and as I looked at the calendar and saw that date, you know, it it inevitably inevitably brings back just emotions, you know, because it's a day that no one will ever forget. I was actually, uh, you know, a senior in high school that day, and, you know, I remember walking down the hallway that morning, and in every classroom you could hear the TVs on playing the news, you know, and, and so my whole professional career, I've grown up in a, post 9-11 era, you know, where the reality of terrorism and acts of war on U.S. soil is, is true. And, and, you know, as we look at this and technology has advanced uh, beyond where it was in the last 14 years, and yet the solution that the government still brings is telling me what, what size toothpaste I can bring on a plane, you know, as opposed to truly implementing something that could help to protect, you know, our country with what you guys are talking about as far as the silk solution something that can truly help to solve a problem that was built by americans built by people who are really looking to solve a problem and and you know we're looking at surface level things until the month's point you know greed and politics and all these things are are still at the forefront rather than the safety of the american people but i appreciate you guys bringing this to the light and talking about you know what we need to be doing as americans and speaking out 
against, you know, and about, you know, the fact that we really need change in this country. No, absolutely. And, Joe, we appreciate your phone call on that. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, we keep making the point. Where's America's state of mind and what exactly is going on in the minds of the American people? But leaders in this country uh, that have an opportunity uh, to facilitate change. And I think, uh, William, as we look into that, uh, we, we begin to see other things happening uh, that are critically important that we have to pay attention to. Uh, and I think that makes a big, big difference. Uh, so uh, as we begin to dig even further into this, a um, lot, qu- lot of unanswered questions, Will. A lot of, lot of questions that uh, we are trying to pay attention to. And um, it looks like we got another caller. And uh, we're going to go to them here momentarily as we try to figure out uh, and find the answers here, uh, William, that we're, we're dealing with here. It's, it's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal. I mean, it's extremely big. But I think the one thing, if you look at a question, you say, why? Why haven't we moved and evolved? As a country, as a nation, why are we not any better? And you just look at it. We're, we're, who is handicapping us or what is handicapping us? If you look, if you look at the fact that we have an the answer to the ISIS crisis, to terrorism, the, the, to the next plot against our homeland, our country, our safety, and no one's done anything? Why? Why has that happened? Why are we in the same boat? Why do we not feel any better or any safer? No, and that makes perfect sense. Um, uh, so we go, we, those are things. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we'll say it again. If you think this is some Hollywood production uh, that you may be watching on TV, I guarantee you tonight as we listen to the little girl who grew up without a father, that's important. And again, one of many, of thousands of people that have been lost. And uh, these are very, very important issues. Uh, And we are going to eventually get the answers here, William, I believe, as we press forward in this in this in this effort, we need we need to get answers. We can't go forward as a nation if we don't have answers to these questions. I mean, if you what are we going to do? Look at ten years from now, we say twenty five years later, we have not evolved as a country, and we're no safer. Twenty five, thirty years later, right? And I mean, you look at you look at what it takes to um, to get something done that actually works. I mean, you 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 think you think about Okay, the type of people that it takes, like like uh, Bernard Carrick came on earlier, and he was saying this is what we had to do as a group to uh, ensure the safety of of New York. That we had to get everybody out of that area. We had to shut down the entire city. And then you look at the things that now that that should be implemented post nine eleven to ensure the safety of the entire country, not just. New York, not just the financial district of our country, but the entire country, because now we're looking at the issue where uh, the federal law enforcement is saying, hey, we are looking at ISIS sales across the country. And and like you said, Will, you know, dealing with the Silk software and how it can track, how it can basically do link analysis that says this person is linked to this other person in this place and this thing, this weapon, this you know, to where you can track an ISIS sale and say we can shut it down before they come up with some other type of plot. And you look at the IRP-6 
and the 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 effort that they put in that all of them from from the developers from the the uh database administration from the security uh implementations that they all had to come together to build this up so that it would be the best response to the issue at hand for DHS so that DHS would have the best solution that they could have and you know you you can't you you can't um you know give give the credit of the silk software to any one person but as a group that says we came together so that as a collaboration we could we want to protect our nation just like you said with the with law enforcement and with the first responders that never again on our watch will something like 9/11 happen and and you look at these federal agencies that should collaborate from a law enforcement perspective to say, never again, no matter what it takes, if we have to share our information, which is the stupidest thing that they don't want to share information that could protect the nation, if they say we have to share the nation to save lives, then absolutely. That is what needs to happen. And to see that this hasn't happened and that, like you said, Silk Software sits on a shelf. Six men, the IRP six, sit in prison wrongfully because some competitors didn't want them to to implement the the solution. And you say, okay, what cost does it take to say that will save lives? Well, even as you're as you're saying that, this is the thing: big business is never going to have a passion for this. Gary was motivated. I mean, we've, we've and all of the IRP. All of I mean, all they, of they put in the time, they put in the work to say, we will ensure that this never happens again on our soil. No matter if we have to stay up long hours, if if we have to do overtime, that's not paid for every hour. I mean, there were times, and I was there too, that we would stay there almost all, all night. night. And but, it's like this just has to be. But done. see, this is another thing. These guys wore uniform, Gary had been appointed to the Air Force Academy. David had was in the Navy. Clint was in the Air Force. Am I missing anybody else? I mean, these guys served their country. They served their country in uniform. So now check this out. When you take the motivation, if your patriotism is your motivation, not money, patriotism, saving the country, preventing this from happening again, Okay, now, see, all bets are off at that point. That's why big business will never succeed in this. They never grasp the fact that it happens on our soil. And they never grasp the fact that this, that little girl, her daddy is not coming home. Her daddy is not going to come home, and she is one of thousands, yet millions that are impacted by this event. So when Gary did the ride-alongs in, with the police, he did the ride-alongs. To understand what these guys were going through. Then it just blossomed into silk. And yes, today we sit here in a country that is no better. Our walls are even weaker. And we're sitting here saying, where's the solution? It's sitting on the shelf. It's in mothballs. Well, I'll tell you what. We're just getting started here. And uh, these are these are compelling uh, arguments, uh, William and Cliff, that you what, what, we, what you're saying tonight... It is compelling. It causes people to take pause and to ask questions. And we're not going to have another 9-11 because of political nonsense. It's just not – it's going to be unacceptable. Cliff? Absolutely. I mean, it, to for it to be allowed, for the 9-11 Commission, the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 Commission report to come out and say we're no safer, 
that right there speaks volumes to what we need to do. Now. We, we, yes, right now we need to do something. We, you and I, Mont, we went and talked to the Department of, of uh, Homeland Security, some people on their oversight committee. And they told us, we need this solution right now. We're like, well, absolutely, we know you need it now. You've been needing it for the last 15 years, but what are you going to do to implement it? Why do you let men sit in federal prison wrongfully, and you don't do anything about that? The software is available. The men who can implement it sit in Florence, Colorado, have been there for three years. If you get them out, let them implement it, and you will see how perfect the solution is. That's right. You, you don't look at this software as, oh, this can fit DHS. No, this was built huh? for DHS. Absolutely. This was customized for Department of Homeland Security. They gave the IRP-6, uh, IRP solutions. They gave them the requirements. This is what we need you to build it. Show us what you can do. And they yeah. built it based on those requirements. That is why it is perfect for DHS. That's why it needs to be implemented. Period. To ensure there's never another attack on our soil. Not yesterday. Right now. This needs to happen. Absolutely. We're, right. we're done with the rhetoric. Uh, well, we'll see. Let's look. take a look at it. We have LaRonna Clark coming back up after the break. On the other side of this break, we're going to bring her on. And ladies and gentlemen, she has something to say. We're going to bring that back here shortly. We're going to take a quick break and come back with you. The IRP-6, the highlight has shifted as we remember 9-11, but even more importantly, the software and the six men that can avoid another attack happening on U.S. soil. We're coming right back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio as we take a trip and a journey to New York City remembering 9-11. We're coming right back at you.
Ladies and gentlemen, you have signed on, if you will, to AJC Radio, where tonight we have taken a trip to the East Coast of the United States, a place known around the world as New York City, and the tragedies that took place on 9-11 14 years ago. And we have been talking about the IRP-6, and we're going to get into that momentarily. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, this is not the IRP-1. This is the IRP-6. Six men are the heart of this software that can keep the homeland safe. Make no mistake about it. One person couldn't do it. It took a team effort to make this software, uh, William, happen. And we're going to defer to you here momentarily. And we're going to go. We announced LaWanna Clark online. And she has something to say. And usually when LaWanna Clark talks, you better tune in and listen. Cliff? Yes, we uh, got her in queue. Uh, LaWanna, you have comment. Uh, you're live. The floor is yours. Yes, hello? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, thank you so much for letting me speak this evening. I was listening to all the different uh, people that were that were referring to 9-11 and what a horrible, horrible tragedy that took place in our country. Uh, the, the, this is my question and my... Uh, rationale, if you will, trying to figure out how hard is it to get six innocent, not guilty, six innocent men out of prison where they do not belong that can help to avoid another one of these tragedies. You constantly hear, uh, uh, we're in trouble, uh, the the homeland is, is 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 unsafe. We got we're 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 uh, watching for this, and we're we don't know what's going to happen, and we need something to help stop this. Well, the people that can help you stop it, you won't let them out. So if you can't you can't get a, a a cake done if you don't go in the kitchen and put it in the bowl and, and mix it up and put it in the pan, stick it in the oven and put some icing on it. You'll have to do something. I mean, if it's right there in front of your face, if it's looking at me, if, if it's right there, what am I doing? I'm trying to say, what, what are these people that can make one call to say, let these men out of there? Where are you? What's going on? We all are talking about it. Everybody across the, uh, everybody on the hill and everywhere else is talking about uh, uh, ISIS and, and the tragedies and the, and the homeland's not safe. Well, it would be safe if you would get these innocent men that should have never been in prison in the first place. If you get them out to do what they what they were born to do, then they could do, they could implement this and get it set up that the, the country would be safe and never have this. But as long as they they stall and wait and give excuses and try to figure out well maybe it's coming this way, it's here already. It's right in front of your face. How long does it take to say, let these innocent men out? We are in trouble here. And they have the answer? And I'm just going to ignore the answer and leave it sitting there? How sick is that? It makes me wonder, where's our, where's our, where are our leaders' uh, minds at? Where are, what are you doing? I mean, okay, if I can move, let me move and get this set up. We don't want to see more children hurt, more families devastated, more lives lost, again, over something like this because you're stalling? I mean, it's time to step up to the plate and say, let's do something about this and do it now, and we know what we can do. These, it's been across the board. These men have the answer. Well, let's get the answer out and use it, for God's sake. Thank you so much. 
And we appreciate your call, uh, Ms. Clark. And uh, William, whew, I mean, it's that simple. It's, it's that simple. It's two plus two. And I, I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, we've heard the term over a period of time that this is a matter of national security. We wipe our eyes. We wipe the tears away. We say how wrenching or heart-wrenching when you hear a little girl crying for her daddy, uh, a mother weeping for her son who never came home on that day. I wonder, do we need to get the victims who suffered directly as a result of 9-11 to take a march to Capitol Hill and say, have we forgotten? As we sit idle with the answer behind bars, Wrongfully. Wrongfully. Six men. Six men. The answer. Uncomprehendable. Our, Go ahead, William. Well, it's our nation's safety. Simple. Simple and plain. The answer's there. Sitting in Florence, Colorado, six men. The vision, product, our safety, our peace of mind. I, I, it's just like you said, Lamont. It's that simple. It is that simple. Wrongfully convicted. Sitting behind bar. And uh, there's nothing else I could, I could say. There's nothing else I could say about it. And, uh, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, it's that real and uh, the outrage should be there. Uh, you know, how long as we went to bed at night on 9-11, 14 years ago, uh, we, as the, as the uh, Mr. Carrick shared earlier, we take our liberties and our freedom for granted. Let me let you hear some sounds Gentlemen, I've heard many things in my lifetime, 
that made me shiver. That noise or that sound is the sound of horror. William, as you hear that, the screams, the terror in the hearts of people running for safety, not even beginning to understand what has happened. What do we need to do? We've talked about it. We've talked about it. And I think one of the things that you said, one of the suggestions you made was valid. I mean, do we need to go to the hill? Do we need to take the victims, those that were firsthand there, those that experienced loss of their families, loss of loved ones, they need to go to the hill and say, you know, what are what is being done or what why are you not doing something? There's six men that sit with the answer. And this is real. I mean, this is a real answer. This is the answer to the question that has been on the hearts and minds of the citizens of the United States for 14 years. Sure. Where's where's my blanket of safety? Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a a uh, a humdinger here, but a place of honor as we remember the victims of 9/11. This is part one. Uh, of course, September 11th falls on Thursday, the day after tomorrow. We will be back here and a special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we reflect on 9-11 again, part two. There's no way you can cover all this in one program, and probably not two. It would take a lifetime to give it the due uh, that it deserves, and we will do our very best uh, as we try to take a look at the Victims in a state of a nation that is in need for desperate help. And we reach out tonight uh, to uh, congressmen, senators, uh, the president of the United States, and anybody else that uh, I believe is an American that cares about the safety of this nation. And that is the IRP-6. And I'll say that again, the IRP-6. Patriots of this nation who stood at the devastation and said, not on my watch, I will entreat the entrepreneur spirit and create something that has not been done. And that, William, that's what America's about, entreating the entrepreneur spirit. Absolutely. And no way should these men, as a result of entreating that, should be sitting in a prison cell as we have questions of our own safety in this nation and I'll say, join us. Uh, we will have archives of this program. Go to AJCRadio.com, AJCRadio.com, and you'll be able to tune in and listen to this. All our programs are archived there, uh, so feel free to go there. We advise, ask you to go to FreeTheIRP6.org. tells the story of the IRP6, what their vision was. And uh, we bring them up tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Make no mistake about it for one reason. Through the tragedy of 9-11, a vision was born. To keep America, our children, our children's children, for generations to come, safe on American soil. And we will not stop until justice comes to the IRP-6. Cliff? Yes, and we want to, you know, we have the perpetrators of justice that basically, you know, you've heard us speak about the IRP-6. We have those who are responsible for them being wrongfully convicted and wrongfully incarcerated now for over three years. 
And on that list, we have U.S. Attorney of Colorado, uh, John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Statton Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfell, Attorney Mark Garagos, and the president of ETI Professional Services, Susan Holland. These are the ones who are responsible for the IRP-6 being wrongfully convicted and spending over three years in federal prison. And that when the nation uh, stands at risk of another attack, we can turn a blind eye, but that blind eye will not work because it is a reality, and that is what's happening. And, uh, uh, William, you had some closing remarks? Yes, I was going to, as, as Cliff read that list, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking those are the ones, those are the ones that need to be held accountable if there's a next act. Absolutely. Those are the ones right there. That list of people are the ones that are responsible for our safety sitting on the shelf, our safety sitting down in Florence, Colorado. The answer to another 9-11, these are the ones sure. that are that should be held accountable. I mean, these are the ones that I, I, I just don't have words. These are the ones that are responsible for these guys being wrongfully convicted. The IRP-6 have the answer. Absolutely. Cliff? Absolutely. And we appreciate everyone in the chat room tonight. All of our callers, we want to say thank you for calling to chime in and give us your experience, your thoughts about uh, 9-11 in the state of our country. Uh, we want to say thank you to uh, all those who, who contributed tonight. Also, to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions, we got the Honeycomb Kids. They're holding it down there now, so okay. we appreciate them because they make sure that you hear what it is that we have to say. And to our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know that you're out there, and we appreciate it. All right, and ladies and gentlemen, join us here Thursday night, a special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we remember 9-11. This show dedicated to the RP 6 sitting in prison wrongfully convicted. We seek for justice. And to keep America safe, we need to get these men set free. Uh, they are David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, Clinton Stewart, Dave Zapolo, and Gary Walker. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the AJC Radio program tonight as we have taken a trip to New York City remembering 9-11. Be safe. We're coming back at you. Take care.
Thank you.